Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we begin today's episode, we have an announcement for you, fellow conspiracy realists. This is something that we are massively excited about. We've been working on it for a while. And astute listeners, you'll notice we've been hinting about it for, what would you say, guys, a month or so? That's right. You've been asking for more episodes, and we hath granted thine wishes. <laughs> Usually the fanfare comes before the announcement, but I think it still works. It's true. We're going to five episodes a week. You're still going to get the deep dive stuff they don't want you to know episodes you're used to every Wednesday and Friday, but we're introducing a few other new styles of episode into the mix as well. We often say that you, specifically you, are the most important part of this show. We're putting our money where our uh, metaphorical mouth is here, and we'll have a special listener mail episode each and every single week. We'll also have uh, up-to-the-minute-ish conspiracy news on our Strange News segment, which comes out on Mondays. And for everyone who's written to us searching for the Older episodes that you just can't find on Apple Podcasts will be reintroducing our classics to the feed. So we hope you are as excited as we are. Look forward to lots more Ben, Matt, Knoll, and Mission Control coming to you very soon. This episode contains explicit language, frank conversation, and we wanted to let you know going in, if you're a person who is bothered by curse words, perhaps this is not for you. 
yes, uh, this is a little bit of a different type of conversation than you might be used to on stuff they don't want you to know. Um, we and our guests dive deep into some very frank conversations around race and politics and a lot of the things that are going on right now in the world. So just be forewarned. Oh, and one more thing. We recorded this in mid-June, so you're going to hear us reference a couple of events that were current at the time but have already resolved or have evolved since then. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. In the age of ubiquitous information, it's no secret that protests are waged as much online as they are in the streets. And there is an ongoing struggle with many participants to control the narrative of events, to spin the stories you see on the news, hear on the radio, or hear from your friends on social media. Today's questions, where do these discrepancies come from, and how do we combat them? Now what we'd like to do in today's episode is to explore a number of wide-ranging topics uh, with some help from our peer podcasters, the host of one of our newest and, in my opinion, best shows on the iHeart Network, Waiting on Reparations. We are immensely fortunate to be joined today with Dope Knife and Lingua Franca. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Yo, hey. it's dope to be here. Thank you guys for having us. Let's just maybe have you guys introduce yourselves and tell us about Waiting on Reparations. So, Linkwa, if you don't mind, uh, can we start with you? Yeah, so um, I am a linguist, an educator, um, a rapper, community organizer, and a politician here in Athens, Georgia. I've been organizing in the community since 2016, started off doing it around hip hop shows and then later translating those skills into electoral campaign work and then decided to run for off myself. So um, I got my master's in linguistics at the University of Georgia in 2017, uh, currently working on my PhD and trying to kick ass, take names, transform some broken systems uh, that I think a lot of us are seeing across the country need transforming. Uh, so it's really great to have this podcast at a time where people are looking for direction in this movement. Like, what does it look like to transform things in a localized way? What does it look like on the ground organizing in these communities that need it? Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit about me. What about you, Mac? Oh, um, <laughs> my, name is, my name is Dope Knife. Um, I'm a rapper, producer from Savannah, Georgia, originally from Liberia, um, son of a diplomat. I grew up overseas. I used to work for the State Department at one point in time before I started rapping. I've uh, toured all over the country and uh, I'm pretty, pretty good at rapping. And I'm, you're an amazing illustrator. Yes, I'm also a comic book artist and I direct and edit music videos and i'm also the uh producer as well as co-host of the waiting on reparations podcast so so dope 
Lingua, could you tell us a little bit about the impetus that led to the creation of Waiting on Reparations and maybe describe uh, what our audience encounters when they hear an episode? Well, frankly, I'd been a fan of Mac for many years uh, before we became collaborators. And so when we went on tour together back in 2017, we got to learn a lot about each other's politics and our like music and come to appreciate each other's perspectives on both those things. And so when Noel reached out to me about doing this podcast, he was the first person I thought of. In fact, he was living in Savannah at the time. And I invited him to come move into my house so that we could do this podcast together. But um, given his background with international travel and his expertise in like media and my expertise with like policy making at a local level, uh, I just made sense to bring together a podcast that touches on both of those worlds in our brains and help listeners to hip hop or followers of uh, political developments across the country to synthesize those ideas and kind of see the way they relate through the show. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the um, tour that we went on was probably the most, like, re- you know, the biggest revelation in the, the fact that we'd be able to work together because it was like a solid, what, two, three weeks? Yeah. Of just being on the road and we're just hanging out and just talking and getting to know each other better. Because, like, when we first initially met, it was like I was at a show... And we were talking like over loud music in a in a club while another performer was going on. And then after that, it was just like Facebook and Internet correspondence. So for that first time of us being able to go on tour and then especially then it was like, oh, shit, you're rapping now and you've got an album and you're on tour. Shit. All right. You know, so getting to know her better like that and seeing the type of chemistry that we had just in terms of the conversations we would have, like when we're not being recorded, it was like, oh, OK, yeah, we could we could definitely do a podcast and have it be dope. So listeners will get a taste of um, the way that hip hop has influenced public policy, anything from like back in the 90s with the crime bill, the way that gangster rap was being investigated by the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee and like how that influenced mass incarceration that followed the 94 crime bill to the way that hip hop artists have pushed forward messages of social change through their music to the way that public policy has shaped the history of hip hop, you know, anything from policy around sex work to labor rights to again, mass incarceration, the way that that has inflected hip hop as we know it. And so those are the kinds of things that you'll end up hearing when you listen to writing on reparations. The first episode of your, of your podcast addresses the current events that are happening since George Floyd's murder. And I think maybe our audience would be very interested in your take on the situation from that, from that policymaking, actually knowing where there are things that can be done, places where improvement can, can be done. Uh, maybe just give us your take on what's happening with the movement to seek change right now. Ultimately, it, it, for me, it depends on where everyone's head is at because like right now there's it's definitely like the beginning of it where everyone's got emotion behind them and emotion is needed because it's got people out there in the streets and it's bringing attention to you know things that need to be done but I think now it's going to start moving into the phase of is there like a solid policy goal behind it you know so far it seems to be so far the defund the police seems to be the flagship that everyone's like riding on but only time will tell with things like like this. You know, like right now, I think what makes this different is just this unique situation that we're in where 
we've got a global pandemic and then we're in a damn near recession, if not a full on recession. Then you go and add this to the mix and just like a spark that starts civil unrest. It's the sort of thing where I think if George Floyd had just if George if George Floyd had happened at any other time, then I think it would be a situation where people would be mad for about two weeks and then we'd go on about our lives. You know what I mean? But now I think the urgency of the times that we live in just make everything that much more heightened. And that's what I think has people really energized to be like, no, fuck this. I mean, something has to change and it has to change now. You know, there's no, no more of this, like waiting for, for stuff to like incrementally change. We've got to like get out there and make it happen now. And when we're talking about making it happen, you know, people have been calling to defund the police, but taking to the streets to that end is only so effective. You can raise awareness, you can cause mass disruption that draws attention to the, this, um, this need, but it really requires folks at the local level, in my opinion, to start to get to know their local government, to study their local government's budget, especially, and start making concrete, tangible demands for the reallocation of funds, if that's what people are desiring for from this, which I agree is necessary. We've seen that reforms haven't worked. Chokeholds were already banned in places and people keep dying from them anyway. Um, cops keep getting more training in DS escalation and use of force but the cop that shot Richard Brooks you know that didn't stop him from murdering a man even though he'd recently received that training and so I am one of those folks that is um joining in calls to defund the police but it requires understanding their current funding it requires looking at that several hundred page document and understanding where that money is going and where that money isn't going in terms of community investments to understand how much we're spending on housing and social work and wellness and community programs and whether or not we're fully meeting the needs of the community and how we can better allocate funds to actually support folks and not getting you know not uh, falling asleep in a Wendy's parking lot because they're too fucked up or whatever. So yeah, so what do we do now? People are up in arms. A lot of folks that haven't been uh, involved in organizing before, but it's really critical that folks come to understand their local governments especially because civically we're not educated in how to get involved in our local government. All the focus is on the federal level and you know somewhat so on the state level and we ignore who our county commissioners are and who our city councilors are and we need to but we can go to that person's house and demand change. We can like write them a letter or call them on the phone and they'll actually pick up the phone and so that is like to me the critical uh, uh, pressure point that people need to be taking advantage of and like and exploring and learning more about and leaning on well absolutely and I, th- I think people get really caught up in like getting disenchanted by oh I only have so much power and it's all about like you know national elections rather than state elections or local government and so people kind of like lose sight of some of those ways that you can't actually affect change on that level I think that's a really good good advice just in general just to kind of be more aware of these levers that you have at your disposal I mean the government is technically there to serve you and the community and it's up to you to get involved and to reach out and to ask questions and to you know investigate this kind of stuff but I'd like to just really quickly double back to 
the idea of defunding the police it, on its surface and as a rallying cry. And if you don't really know anything about it, it seems really extreme. It seems like really radical. Like let's get rid of police. People will say, well, who's going to protect us? You know what, what happens then? It's going to be chaos in the streets. And I just think it's really important to point out that that's not what that means. It's more what you said, where it's like, where is that money going? I, I saw a, a meme or something where I was like, how come teachers have to buy their own supplies, but every cop gets a captain America shield. You know, it's like the amount of money that's like, it costs to like outfit a health worker in PPE pales in comparison to what it costs to outfit a police officer in riot gear. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's all about that dis- that, that kind of like disconnect, I think. And I think, you know, the idea of saying defund the police, it's easy to get worked up about that and say, oh, that's absurd, that's extreme. But I don't know, I'd, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about what that actually means at heart and and, ha- and what it looks like. Yeah. Back- I, kind, I kind of, I mean, personally, I think that... um you know, I've I've heard the argument that it's like it's not on the it, the burden's not on the people who are out there to to come up with a slogan that's fitting or suitable, and I I completely understand that. But just in terms of messaging, I think it's a pretty stupid name for what they mean because it. it well, I think I think that the issue isn't like well, it wasn't up to them to come up with a good slogan. It's that these folks have been organizing on the ground and studying the work of abolitionist thinkers for decades, and so if they decided that this is what they wanted to go with, it's not that they just made it up on the fly. It's like this is an intentional effort, and we should get behind them. From a principle standpoint, I totally get that. It's just, it's just a matter of everybody who I hear talking about defund the police always has to like start with it doesn't actually mean what well, if if defund the police legitimately meant defund the police like what those words mean then that's what we I that's mean, what it does we mean. literally mean take money away from police departments well i, I mean it, it it doesn't it more so i mean maybe it's me misunderstanding it but it, from it seems like it, it more means like reallocating funds for police departments like for example sure. you know the the whole notion of um why send somebody who's armed to go answer like a situation that's not a dangerous situation? I literally had a constituent this morning text me to say that they were on a walk with their dog and saw uh, a man laying down in his yard who, when approached, wasn't able to identify himself by name. And so they were trying to figure out, they didn't want to call 911, but they wanted to get this man help. Unfortunately, one of their other neighbors called 911 and four cop cars showed up. Does that make that man laying in his yard feel safer? to know that oh good there's a bunch of dudes with guns here now and so i also conceptualize this as like reimagining public safety uh uh, diversifying the way we address community crisis and crisis prevention so i mean i get whatever critiques people want to have about defund the police but the organizers that came up with it are smart folks and so i stand with them i mean again i i I still i still think defund the police it it rolls off the tongue nicely, but at the end of the day, I mean, we saying it know that it evokes a perception. Like, it, it makes people think that it's something that it's not. So my, you know, just my general thinking is, okay, then why don't we say what we mean? But, I mean, you know, if the – it seems like the strategy is to just to stick to that slogan and, that, and the messaging is more important than – 
necessarily worrying about who can easily understand it. The political education has to happen either way. If we're like, well, we want to reallocate funding to housing, like still it requires that study of our budgets to understand to what degree we need to do that reallocation and like how many dollars are actually putting into that stuff. And then answering those questions about what public safety will look like if we reallocate funding. So I don't buy, I don't buy people saying defund the police doesn't work because that political education has to happen no matter what. I think we're hitting on a fantastic point here and, and it's a larger one because we're, we're talking about, um, you know, to a degree we're talking about messaging, right. And mass perception. And this, Mm -hmm. this goes into this concept of, of narrative, right. Uh, I, I think for anyone who's been watching the, uh, the protest ongoing, right? Anybody who's watching this or participating notices this huge discrepancy between what you're seeing on, you know, your local channel two versus what you're seeing from uh, your own experience or what you're seeing in your friend's Instagram stories or protesters posting directly to social media. What do opponents of uh, various grassroots movements uh, who control the the levers of mass media what what tactics do they use to i would say dilute or deter or control uh the narrative of a movement and and how do people how do people combat that i mean it makes it all the more important for us to be the own reporters of our experiences the the importance of social media right now to disseminate uh verified um, accounts of like what's going on because they can easily focus on that 10 second shot of this tussle happening in the crowd where a pro-police and a defund the police protesters are throwing fisticuffs and miss out on the other four hours of the protest where they're marching peacefully and singing together and so it's so important for us to tell our own stories because I think they are cherry picking their informants they are trying to sensationalize what's happening by focusing on the most vitriolic imagery that they can find and so yeah I, I would agree that mass perception is sort of being twisted by folks that get clicks when it looks violent or get uh, views when people are glued to their screen because what they see scares them rather than uh, getting a variety of accounts to give a better, clearer, uh, more objective view of what's happening out here. What I think about that kind of, it, it kind of, you know, goes back into the, the last question that we we're talking about in terms of messaging and with the defund the police, because it's like, we can't ignore the fact that something like Fox News exists and that Fox News talks to millions and millions of people. So I'm not saying we have to gear any sort of message for Fox News, but what I'm saying is if we know that Fox News is manipulated, if channels like Fox News and these big corporate news stations, if we know that they're manipulating our messages and stuff like that, to me it just seems like, counterproductive to give them ammo you know because it's like we know what defund the police means but there's a whole echo chamber out there that's being literally brainwashed to think it means something other than what it means so we can either like be in the mindset of like yo that 60 million people screw them we don't give a fuck about what they know or what they think or what who's feeding them what information we're sticking by our thing because you should you should know what we know then I mean I, I'm just saying like if that's if that's where we're at then okay but I just think that it would probably be you know and, and 
even saying it out loud sounds stupid because it's like, oh, protesters and, and activists should be thinking about a slogan. That sounds ridiculous. But, you know, in the world that we live in, you know, messaging matters. And I just think that a, a, a more streamlined message would be would be better for that. What do you all think about the way that this uprising is being portrayed in the media? Well, I mean, I think one of the main things to look at right now is what's happening in Seattle. Exactly. Perfect point. Yeah, just just the very almost polar opposite ways in which the the movement there is being portrayed in the media. Um and it really like like you're saying it does speak to I mean, you'd have to, you have to go back really far to really get into all this stuff, but really thinking about the media bubbles that have existed for a while that have been shaped by these different companies who are serving specific audiences and, you know, they're, they're telling their audiences what they want to hear in order to capture their eyes and ears for advertising dollars. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, and when you, you know, I'll let, just to stand up for a second, like I've been having, I, I think a lot of us have been having a lot of conversations with our friends and families. Maybe, uh, I know, I know in my family, my wife's family, there's been some hard conversations trying to get people to see a little more evenly rounded of, of what it's happening here. So to be able to see points of view outside of their own, outside of our own, my own, um, and it's been a difficult process because we can each be fed our own version of the truth or the thing that we want to believe is the truth. For sure. And that's why like that person to person political education is so important for us to have that conversation with our cousins or our coworkers or our classmates about what defund the police means, uh, because everyone else has an agenda. They got ad slots to fill. Uh, whereas a person genuinely expressing their vision for a better world to someone that they trust and know is a lot more effective way of like building the movement, dispelling myths and just building community as well. It's like having that honest kind of dialogue. And in general, we, we're not a political show. We do our best to kind of stay relatively apolitical and not, you know, show too much of our personal opinions about a lot of the stuff. We try to stick to the facts. But y'all talk about a lot of government shit, we, though, No, right? we absolutely do. Yeah. But our, our, our goal is not to be editorializing most of the time. Um, and with this stuff, it's kind of pushed things to a place where that's really difficult to do. Do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why we're we're ready to have this conversation with with y'all and because it's such a polarizing time more than ever. But it's also like, I don't know, it's like we're we sometimes are dancing around like, oh, how do we say this? How do we couch this? How do we, you know, say our opinions about this without offending anybody or offending the people we're trying to support. And I just an example for me personally is my ex-wife who I'm really close with and I and our 11 year old daughter and a friend of hers and her son. Um, we did like a little mini protest cause they've been really careful about coronavirus and she has a young baby, a uh, young, young uh, toddler, and so she's like, I want to do a thing. And we both live in the same predominantly uh, black neighborhood in Atlanta in um, Candler McAfee area. And par- at first I was uncomfortable because I was like, okay, we're, it's five of us. We're standing on the corner on this, you know, busy intersection in this predominantly black neighborhood that is being gentrified. And we are part of that. And I was like, A, 
are, are we coming off as like preaching to the choir where people are like, duh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, like what are you, who are you trying to tell? But that was not the response we got at all. And I, I felt this sense of like, okay, it matters that people see that they are supported and that they are seen. It does. And it, does. it was something that like was very, empowering is not the right word, but it just, it gave me this feeling that I hadn't, that I've been struggling with where it's like, how do you, voice your support without coming off as performative or coming off in whatever way. And the fact is, if you really mean what you're saying, then you're not going to come off that way. And if you really are And maybe somebody calls you out for performativity and you accept that with grace and you like learn and you figure out how to be a better ally. But like you have to be willing to fail. So the fact that you went out there on that corner and just like, I'm going to hold this on and see what happens. Like you have to do that kind of stuff in order to learn what is the most effective form of support that your community needs? I, I'd like to interject here real quick. Noel, with all due respect, I uh, disagree with your characterization of the show. Uh, all things, all actions are political actions. Uh, Tell them. I, I feel that we have the facts on our side, or we work very hard to find the facts. And when we've been accused of being quote-unquote uh, political, it's often by people who are angry that the facts and the reality of the world do not conform to their opinion. And that's, I think that's an important distinction there. Um, and, and I think you're making excellent points about direct action and protest. Everyone is involved. You can admit it, or you, you can accept it, or you can deny it, but everyone is involved and every action is inherently a political action. And Ben, I completely agree with you. And all, all I was trying to say was we do our best to not grandstand or to make it about us. It's all about the facts, like you said, and people that get upset don't like which side the facts fall on and whether it makes them feel bad about their view or or what have you. Um, when I say we're an and try to be an apolitical show. That was a poor choice of words. I just mean, you know, we are, we do try to be fact-based and let the chips fall where they may in terms of how people interpret that or the reality. It's not up to us. We just, like you said, do the research and, and try to, you know, get to the heart of, of things. And many of those things are political issues. Yeah. And on that point, you know, we just had a recent episode about COINTELPRO and in it, um, talking a lot about the gears of government that churn unseen beyond the veneer of electoral politics. We elect people and put them in office that then task the FBI, these paper pushers, these agents that are just taking orders from the higher ups to do things like, like burn black cultural meeting centers to the ground or to wiretap or sabotage or uh, drum up false charges against them. So those facts remain, you know, the facts, but they do come from a political place and that someone in a place of power is is setting that machinery into motion for sure. And we'll continue our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. 
This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Let, let's talk about the militarization of police forces within the United States, because this is something we've talked about before a little bit. It is incredible to see the show of force from police departments uh, when there are protests, even if there is civil disobedience going on as part of that protest. It's not any action that you would need literally a military force to be there. So, I mean, two recent examples, I organized a march here in Athens of about 2,000 people on May 31st that was peaceful. In fact, there was two protests going on and we were able to march the city and merge them and continue in our, you know, route, shutting down downtown together. And it was really moving the way that people came together uh, to listen to black folks come up and speak about their experience of racism, to speak to the crowd about policy next steps um but then at one point in the protest uh, a number of men armed with uh, ak's and stuff like that showed up in hawaiian shirts uh and kind of put everybody on edge so we decided to disband the rally at that point and send everyone on their way now a couple hundred people remained downtown through the evening peacefully occupying the main square and uh, the mayor set a curfew to try to send people home around nine, around midnight. The police decided to use tear gas and beer ba- beanbag rounds to uh, disperse the crowd and ended up arresting 19 people. In their subsequent police report, they identified these protesters as um, Boogaloo 
though these are all friends of mine that are organizers of the community who lived here for years and who were you know peacefully occupying this square but this intel about you know far-right groups or antifa infiltrating these peaceful gatherings to do harm to our community to do property damage to light fires was used as a pretext to bring in the national guard the for- the following weekend we had thousands of troops and police people stationed on tops of buildings and riding down the streets in tanks while another 1500 people gathered peacefully in the street once again and so i mean we've seen that uh equipping our 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 um our police departments with weapons of of you know that they want to say that are used to keep their peace but like things like tear gas like are outlawed in the geneva convention like it it is almost like it gives them a reason to look for uh, an excuse to use this on folks they want to see us as the boogeymen they want to see us as uh the boogaloo boys when in fact we're just peacefully occupying a square it's somewhat in the logic of the way they operate that like civilians are just enemy combatants that need to be quelled by force uh if possible. And so I've seen the way that this militarization has um, played out, you know, in a small town like Athens. And I can't imagine in larger cities and municipalities uh, how that must feel to be occupied by this military force and under these threats of, uh, of, um, of violence from the state. Uh, ben, in our previous episode on uh, agent provocateurs, we touched briefly on the idea of this far right movement, the Boogaloo's, and you had said, "Oh, this was worth an episode in itself." Could you talk a little bit about what that is? What you, what your research has shown you on what this group is, and is it a thing? Is it like this kind of specter, like Antifa, that's sort of used and thrown around to sort of give a face to this like imminent threat, or is it like a real thing? That's an interesting question. I think that's one we would uh, we should we should pose to everyone here because um, you know, Lingua, as you brought up that phrase, the the Boogaloo Boys, right? Uh, this this phrase is um, it's found its way into media. It's found its way into narrative. You can find them portrayed as uh, far alt right agitators who are who are seeking to um, escalate. Uh, a protest, uh, you can see it's weird. It's almost like anonymous because uh, membership is defined by describing oneself as anonymous or describing oneself as Boogaloo. There's no like club or authorization process. You don't have they to send you a membership well, card in the it, mail. It's it's like um as far as the political leanings, it's kind of all over the map. It can go from libertarians to actually like far left people to you know straight up neo-nazi types can be in it um pretty much the 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 term boogaloo is actually (laughs) is actually related to hip-hop in a way um the movie breaking back in the day uh breaking part two the electric boogaloo was the name of the sequel to breaking so their whole entire like thing is that there's going to be a second civil war so it's like civil war two electric boogaloo that's the Boogaloo Boys. So, like, you know, depending whatever side that they're on, whether you know it's like leftist Boogaloo's or right Boogaloo's, they're pretty much all preparing to go to war with the government and to incite that in some way. So, 
a, a, a massive mass protest that's engulfing the entire country is kind of like the perfect situation for like groups of that nature, which is one of the things that makes it tricky because on one end, yeah, definitely the authorities are going to try to discredit the protests however they can, but they damn sure just arrested one of the Boogaloo boys for like spraying up some cops today. That was today. Yeah, with like a saying? with like a homemade machine gun. Yeah, or like, toss, or like tossing some pipe of, bombs at them. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, but, but my my thing though is like I hear that name and I hear that association with that that film, which is you know a part is like you know a. a like that kind of uh, breakdancing culture is like a big part of like hip hop culture and black culture. And it seems to me to be like a far right white group appropriating that term, which makes me think it's inherently racist. They're looking for like a race war, but I'm hearing that it's more anti-government than it's anti-black or like anti. It's, it's, I mean, there's definitely black boogaloos and there's, there's yeah, Latino there was one boogaloos. At the, uh, the yeah, protests there's, here in Athens. Got so, it. Yeah. So that's, yep. Didn't, didn't so again, it, it all depends. Like you, you know, you could be in a situation to where you have one group of boogaloos, and they see another group of boogaloos, and they're like, "Oh, those guys are fucking Nazis." You know what I mean? And they're having that sort of conflicts among, amongst each other. So it's like Antifa. It's like not really an organization. It's more of a like idea and philosophy. So it's it's just it's harder to classify exactly what it is and what they want. Just for my for my understanding of it, if you were to get like 10 boogaloos in a room eight of them are pretty much just cosplayers you know what i mean and like two of them like have some like extremists like so the other the other guys like think oh man yeah like we're in hawaiian shirts and we have tactical vests on this is this is cool like you know so yeah I, that's that's the thing that's what i think makes it so um easy for uh, mainstream media narrative controllers, because if you have a group that can just, you know, self-appoint, a group that internally disagrees on a great many things, then you can make that phrase a thought-terminating cliche. Like, who... Okay, thankfully, uh, you know, we've made this explicit, so I can say it plainly. Who the fuck would have thought in 2020 that being against fascism is a bad thing? Like, say what? it, please say <laughs> it. I know motherfuckers who loosely call it like I'm in, I'm in Antifa, blah, blah. Like all the people in Antifa couldn't fill up a fucking civic center in most cities. So like the fact that it's being dubbed some great threat. I mean, you know, it's you don't even have to say that it's bullshit to just know that it's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like you can't name any deaths that have been caused by anybody who is in Antifa, but you can name a hell of a lot of people that neo-nazis and right-wingers have killed so there's black men and women getting hung from trees all across this country right now <laughs> and who's, who's doing that it ain't antifa mm -hmm. and one of those one of those murders uh was i think initially somehow ruled as suicide yeah i've had kind of information overload and haven't learned a lot about this other than i am aware that this is happening and i you know myself have gotten some threats of lynching recently on the internet and so like that definitely makes me feel a little afraid to know that this is happening actually in other places uh so maybe i should look into what happened <laughs> and uh get some home security systems we were just talking the other day about getting like a tear gas gun or something well, at least i was yeah kevlar sleeves to fend off knife attacks uh, borrowing a friend's dog, big old German shepherd to hang out in the house. 
I have a personal security team of folks to show up if there's that's an the thing though, like, or we, anything. We can joke about all this stuff and it's almost like you do it to keep from like going insane or just yeah. to get completely depressed. But it's like, this is real. These threats are real. Like, and it's more prevalent now and, and more obvious now than I think it's maybe ever been. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be a downer or anything, but like, I mean, how, how can you not? But like, for example, the comment section on your page on <laughs> Apple podcasts for the show, yeah. like it's, as it's got like almost a thousand reviews and it's got as many one star reviews as it has five star reviews and about and nothing in between. And all the people, 99% of the people that write text, and this is true of any podcast reviews for the most part, people that actually take the time to, you know, rate and review there. And we want people to rate and review them if you like it and give positive feedback. And if you don't and want to give negative po- feedback, make it constructive at the very least. But this stuff that we're seeing here is not constructive. It's literally saying like, I'll buy you a ticket back to Africa or yeah. there was some stuff we actually got like taken off because it was outright threatening. Like it, it, it cited uh, like, you know, said like keep hiding joggers or something like that. And it was like referring to the shooting that took place in Brunswick, um, the Mont Arbery. Did you know and about that? <laughs> we, we got it taken I off. Didn't, um, I didn't know about that. Yeah. So, but all I'm saying is like, I haven't read the. I haven't read our comment section yet. The, the, these people exist. Don't don't bother. I, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't. It's, it's no. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's not yeah. worth the, the the pain and the stress and just you know whatever. It just makes you kind of sad about people and you know the state of people's minds and how can people think like this? Um, but these people are real and then these extreme views are real and I don't know. It's just something that you have to be aware of and you have to kind of guard against like with maybe with tear gas cannons at your door or whatever i don't know i mean that's the direction that we're heading i guess i mean if the police are militarized like what's the as private citizens what's the big old deal if we you know i mean my my, my number one issue in all of this is just like for me it's it's hard to think about anything in any sort of context that doesn't involve like the cult of Trump. And I know you guys were trying to like keep it, you know, not like make it too like political, but I mean, it's just, it's just like every aspect of the situation that we're in, you know, I just think people need to realize that there is a literal death cult that's numbered in millions of people that like live in the country amongst us. You know what I mean? And I just don't. I I just foresee in the next few months Trump doing something ridiculously insane and having way more people than there should be following what he does, and that's what's got. That's what keeps me up at night. To pick up on that point, you know, um, one thing that this the the people in this country have taken for granted is, you know, any any student of geopolitics knows this. Uh, the peaceful transfer of power is it's astonishing that it ever happens with human beings just the way we're hardwired uh but there there's a very real danger i don't want to be alarmist or whatever or you know conspiratorial quote you're not being alarmist you know like all of this shit hangs on a very very like thin thread you know i mean i grew up immersed in African politics of the 1980s and 1990s. The Civil War of Liberia was like the backdrop of my childhood. So like, it's very hard to know about how that shit went down. And then 
look at what the political situation is in America right now, the only reason that you could think that, oh, that couldn't happen here is because you're racist. And you think, oh, it's white people, so they wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, it could get just as fucked up here here as, as it could anywhere else. Because, like, really, I think, like, Western democracies really hinge on, like, the the veneer of like civility you know what i mean so it's 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 kind of important that that western politicians feel the need to have to lie to their constituents you know what like once once you have politicians that don't give a fuck about lying like wholesale whether you know they're lying or not once they don't care about that and are openly lying that's when the like the 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 body politic should be up in, you know, should have like the hairs raised is like, yo, something's not right. You know, something is like extremely wrong with this. Because because tomorrow, if 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 the election happens, this is what this is what I think. And this is just me being pessimistic. Let's say election night goes through. And let's say Trump loses and he's like, fuck it, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just kind of in the state where it's like I see a lot of people reading about that on their cell phone and being like, oh, I got to go to work. And that being it is mad, mad, angry tweets for about an hour. You know what I'm saying? And then motherfuckers got shit to do. Sorry, I didn't wow. mean to bring it down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've, we've, I mean, wandered, we've wandered far, far away from anything we had planned. I, you know, th- <laughs> this, is what, this is what I would say. I can totally see why you and sometimes I think that that is a possibility, like for sure. But just from what's from rhetoric, from what's happened, historical precedents. Yeah, I have. I yeah, I have to. Honestly, I have to believe that the transfer of power, no matter what happens, is going to occur. Because if I don't believe that, like. It's bunker time for Maddie over here. Like I'm going, <laughs> I'm going in the bunker, and my family's not coming out for but months. <laughs> to what extent do you, when you, when you say the peaceful transfer of power, like what do you mean exactly? Because I, I don't think that there's gonna, I don't think that there's like a situation to where like the generals are like, yes, we're on the side of Trump. I don't mean that. I mean something a lot more smaller scale, but sa- the same amount of menace. You know what I mean? Like I honestly think. That if Donald Trump was getting arrested right now, and as they're putting on the handcuffs on him, he was looking in the camera and was like, burn it down! Burn it all down! I think you'd have, like, bare minimum five million people that would be out in the street shooting shit up and setting shit on fire. That's what I think. Now, I could be paranoid or wrong, but I don't, I don't think paranoid. I am. A little paranoid. <laughs> I really don't think I am. Well, that's the... I guess that's the, that's the question, right? So... What is the peaceful transfer power? At the most uh, most basic level, I would say it's the idea that people vote through our re- cartoonishly uh, imperfect system, uh, which is, I think, designed to be cartoonishly inefficient. Uh, people vote, one a candidate wins, and then that candidate gets that position and there's not, there's not a war. There's not Trump saying, burn it all down with the handcuffs on. But, but that's something that um, I think we've taken for granted in this country at times. And it's, it's a very real, um, 
a very vulnerable point for democracies as a structure or a republic or what have you. And this, I, I think the militarization of police is in step with this. And if you if we look back at the militarization, right, it, it really begins like when, when we start seeing SWATs and military grade equipment, it really begins with something called the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act way back in 1968. And then in step with that evolution, we also see widespread defunding of educational systems. So keep people scared, make sure they're dumb, and don't give them an opportunity to think critically about why there is a fucking tank at the corner of the public park. It's scary. Well, it wasn't a large impetus also, wasn't it the Watts riots? Wasn't that one of the main reasons why SWAT teams came around? I think it was LAPD. Uh, I can't remember the officer's or the uh, chief's name that actually started. We talk about it in our, one of our old videos, Ben. But specifically, they link it to the Watts riots uh, and them saying that they were unprepared for it. And they needed basically a military police to handle that. And then a war on drugs, a war on on terrorism. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you just have to, you know, factor in like human nature. You know what I'm saying? Like so many to, to a lot of police officers, like it's just a job like anybody else would have a job. It shouldn't be. But a lot of them like see it as just a job. So you've got like this thing that's a job and then they're just giving them all of these toys to play with. And of course they're going to abuse that shit. And you're like, what else do they have to do? You know, because obviously that much military force isn't needed from police. So if they have it, they're going to like use it on something. So it's like, I think the the key step is to like, take all that shit away. Have these motherfuckers be like, British cops with like a billy club, just not even a billy club. What, what do you what do you call those uh, <laughs> those little those little nightstick things? Well, cardboard riot shields. I think the uh, I think the proper British term for them is a truncheon. Truncheon. <laughs> truncheon. Love that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, temp to hire, part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Uh, hey, we talked about elections and just how perhaps poorly designed they are on purpose. Uh, we just had an election here in Georgia not long ago. And I, you know, I, I know won mine. What up? <laughs> <laughs> I know y'all are in Athens, but specifically here in Fulton County, we had some serious uh, issues. I wonder if y'all had been following all of that and just what your thoughts were. Yeah, um, that's kind of that, that all, again, this is all just a continuous cycle, but that feeds into what we were just talking about with the peaceful transfer of power. It's like there is an entire political party that doesn't care about democracy at all. You know, so it's just like there's just certain things that we're really lucky of. Like, for example, I was watching, I forget what the hell I was watching, but the, somebody mentioned it and it was really a really good point. But did you guys hear about how in uh, North Carolina, after the Democrats won the governorship, the Republican state Senate started changing a bunch of laws to strip power away from the governor since they were, since they lost power? Well, I mean, that same sort of thing can happen on a national scale. And that's what, again, it's just one of those things that people don't think about. If the House and the Senate were both Republican and Joe Biden won, you can rest assured that they would change a bunch of rules to make the president pretty much powerless until a Republican becomes president again. And that they're, they're doing shit like that. They're doing the voter suppression with making, having there be long lines, throwing out voter ballots. Again, it's just, it's stuff that it's like, it's, it's weird. It seems like it's just regular political corruption as usual, but I just, I have a sense that it's like something a, a bit more, long-term and nefarious with that sort of thing happening because that's those those lines that were going on in georgia that's not that's not anything that anybody's like reading too deep into like you can clearly see it and it, it's it's clearly meant to suppress the vote so yeah link just do you have any specific thoughts on it just to as an elected official um i mean i find it very concerning uh i think that 
we already have a hard time or I have seen like really low voter turnout in general in the district where I serve and the fact that there's already all these impediments in terms of folks that got to work, folks that don't have access to reliable transportation or childcare um, and the ways that that prevents people from voting in the first place. When you add all these technological impediments of machines that aren't down or absentee ballots that don't get sent and these long lines when, you know, folks got to go back to work in an hour while they're, you know, trying to fix the machines that aren't working, uh, it does give me a lot of pause and uh, I feel somewhat powerless to stop it at the local level because, like, we can criticize uh, the folks in control of the Secretary of State's office all day, but then we're going to also need them for stuff. And so to, like, like, retain positive relationships with these higher-ups with whom we don't always agree is a very weird, delicate balance to try to maintain as an elected official. So figuring out how best to, like, address this, how best to educate the public about how to secure their votes, uh, when at the same time you can't account for the things that can pop up on Election Day, like what we saw with the long lines in Fulton County in the election that just happened last Tuesday. My experience was even even worse than the long lines. Uh, I know Ben and I both, I think Matt was smart and did a mail-in ballot or an absentee ballot and, and voted early. And lucky um, he sent, they got sent one <laughs> after exactly, he put exactly. in the request, and, and you know? Ben and I both waited in different precincts for quite a while, at least two hours a piece or so. And uh, mine was in my old neighborhood where I just moved from. So I was still obviously registered there. And I waited about three hours in line. Yo. And at the end of the line, there was this lady who wasn't there. There were like ACLU, like poll monitors there and there were poll workers and stuff. Uh, but this lady was just a civilian. And I guess she had voted or, you know, and, and came back around to tell everybody and kind of warn everybody, hey, it's not really clear about this second step in the voting process. You, the, the first part of it is like the old school way where you take the little scan card. They put all your info on it. They give it to you. You put it in the machine. You use your little stylus that they give you because, you know, COVID and they sanitize it and all that. You get your own special stylus. Um, you do it on the screen. But the new step is it prints you out this page. And a lot of people were leaving with that page thinking this is my receipt I felt, for I my felt vote. I felt with that one. And, and nobody was stopping them. And this lady was warning everybody in line, walking along the line, warning everybody about this. And my one of my best friends, who, who actually has been my roommate until very, very recently, um, very, very politically active guy, like canvases, like, you know, he, he was there ahead of me just because we were both registered in the same spot because that's where we moved from. And he was about an hour ahead of me in line. And so I saw him leave with that paper in his hand. And, and, and I caught him and I said, hey, uh, dude, I think you missed a, a step. And he's like, no, no, it's just like it used to be. This is just the new thing where you get this receipt. And he's a, he's a smart guy. Um, and he, he went back in, sure enough, came out without the paper. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying it's necessarily malicious, but the people that were there were not trained to spot that. And so the, the guy behind me in line was reporting it as voter irregularity. Uh, a reporter reached out to me through uh, a, a friend of mine. Um, and then I told her about my friend's story and she asked to be connected with him. So, you know, it, it's, I, that really concerns me. Like how many people walked out of that voting place without their vote counted? So peek behind the scenes um, to our, to our missing episode and our original conversation that we sadly did not record. Uh, uh, we knew coming into today's show that the five of us would have a wealth of topics. Uh, we had one of the 
best problems you can have on a podcast, which is we have so much stuff to explore that we we knew that we probably wouldn't get to all of it uh, today. But with that being said, you know, we have to thank you. Uh, thank you both, Linkwa. Thank you, Dope, for coming on the show today and and being so generous with your time. We like to end or draw things to a conclusion by giving our fellow listeners uh, action points, something actionable, some some like direct takeaway or set of things they can do in the in the real world. Um, and with that in mind, I'm wondering, uh, you know, earlier, Linkway, you talked about the importance of being informed about the local budget, right? Like. You know, don't just vote every four years when someone's going to be president. Uh, make your voice heard locally. Do you think that's a good place for maybe protesters or activists or would-be protesters or activists to start? Yes, absolutely. Finding out who your city council person is and sending their office an email to see where they stand on things. Uh, if you can join an organization that has been keeping tabs on your local elected officials, uh, there's Athens for Everyone here in Athens. There's various political groups in various cities that have already been doing this work. And so to get it kind of caught up to speed, um, as well as getting more localized action steps from them about, you know, projects they're already working on, who the leaders are in the community to follow, uh, what events are going on, what you can do to help strengthen your community and bring more people into the fight. Um, I recommend everyone try to join an organization like that uh, if one exists or start one. If one doesn't exist in your community thus far. Um, and yeah, and just educate yourself. Uh, be willing to be wrong. You know, go stand out there on the corner by yourself with your Black Lives Matter sign. Uh, and if someone throws a milkshake at you, like if a you know, like you know, take that in stride. Learn from you know what tactics are effective and what the community really needs in terms of solidarity and support. Uh, but definitely getting to know the folks that represent you. You are their boss. You pay these people salaries. You, they must be accountable to you. So hold them accountable. Figure out what's going on in their offices, what they're thinking about with their budgets, and develop a relationship. Uh, I second that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, knowledge is power, and that's that's kind of my thing is, like, just keep yourself informed about whatever it is that that's important to you. Just make sure that you're, you're read up and up to speed about the things that there are to know about it. And as well, I would add to that, read up on history, you know, learn about the social movements that came before us, learn about the thinkers that have informed, uh, uh, visionary, uh, social change movements, folks like Angela Davis, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Cornell West, to get a better understanding of like how we got to this point in terms of progress, as well as the ideas that are going to lead the way for what our future needs to look like. So stay on top of what's going on, but also learn from the past. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell everybody the best way to listen to Waiting on Reparations, to find more information about it, and you know to find your music as well. So we're on Instagram at iHeart Reparations, uh, Facebook, Waiting on Reparations, uh, Twitter, iHeart Reparate or something. Don't worry about it. We're not really on Twitter. <laughs> uh, don't even try to find us on Twitter. But uh, my music can be found at linguafranca.bandcamp.com. That's L-I-N-Q-U-A-F-R-A-N-Q-A. And uh, I'm Lingua Franca on um, Instagram or Mariah for Athens on Instagram as well. 
Uh, you can find my music at dopeknife.com, or if you just type in dope knife anywhere, you'll you'll find me. Uh, my Instagram's dope underscore knife, and um, yeah, yeah, I'm out there. Awesome. Awesome. You can also find us if you want, if you have any questions about this show, you know, obviously write to all of us. Uh, anything we talked about today, if something sparked, you know, something within you and you think there's another episode we need to cover because of everything we've talked about, please write to us. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, mostly conspiracy stuff, conspiracy stuff show on Instagram. Uh, and if you don't want to do any of that, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwitk You are uh, able to leave uh, electronic voice messages in three-minute increments. So um, either, you know, really condense your story down to three minutes or be ready to call back. Uh, but we will put those together, and I think there's going to be a future where we're going to have many more opportunities to uh, discuss some of these amazing voicemails um, that uh, all of us have access to. And if you don't want to do any of that, you can just send us a good old-fashioned email. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now.